Well, good morning. It's exciting to be here. It's uh, humbling to be here. It's uh, challenging to be here. We're excited about being with you folks uh, for this time. And Brother Tommy, thank you for uh, those prayers for those military men in Vietnam uh, back during those years. Uh, When he was small, I was one of those people in Vietnam in the 60s uh, on board ship, the uh, USS Intrepid. And I was an Airedale sailor. Every time I go to Washington and go to the uh, memorial wall, it's kind of an emotional experience when I see that uh, um, our uh, personnel officer, uh, Lieutenant Commander David Callahan's name on that wall. Uh, for all you Airedale uh, aircraft carrier sailors, his main mounts hit the round down, went over the LSO platform, killed him and two other men. And it's a very difficult, difficult time for that. But thank you for that. And uh, we appreciate uh, all of you who have family members or friends who've made that ultimate sacrifice uh, there. Uh, Today we want to spend some time just talking about us and the church, who we are and what we're about. But I thank you for the privilege to be with you during these days. And uh, again, I'm humbled by the opportunity to serve you in this way. And in the days ahead, there are going to be a lot of questions in your mind about this time. Questions like, uh, what kind of progress is the search team making? They'll keep you apprised of that. They're going to be doing that a little bit this morning in that search for the new pastor. What will the new pastor be like? What will his family be like? Uh, How will he preach? What is it going to be? Is it going to be different than what we've had for these past many, many years? What's it going to be like? Uh, How soon uh, will he get to be here? Uh, That's in God's timing. We want God's timing to be right. If it's a short time, then praise God for that. If it takes a little bit longer, then God's in charge of all that. We just want a good marriage between pastor and church. And so that's what we're looking forward to. And I'll be encouraging you in those directions in the days ahead. But let me begin by putting your mind at ease on that matter. Uh, God loves North Florida Baptist Church. There's no question about that. You can rest assured today that you are in the loving hands of God. And He's what it's all about. And so there won't be a question about that. He has a plan for North Florida Baptist Church. He knows what he wants to accomplish here, and he is busy at work to do that, and he's involved with you in that process, and he has someone picked out right for you. That person may not even be ready to leave the church wherever they are at this point, or maybe they're just graduating from seminary or or something like that's happening. We don't know, but God knows, and he has a plan, and he's going to work that out. And so rest assured and be comfortable today that North Florida Baptist Church is in the hand of God. He has a plan for you and everything is going to be well. Just be in confident prayer to him as he leads you along in that process. Pray for your committee. In fact, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have a special time for that prayer uh, for that committee. And I want to lead you in that direction. So I'm simply here to do my best to encourage you uh, through these days and to challenge you to hold fast with eager anticipation for what God is, is planning and is going to do great days ahead for North Florida Baptist Church and for North Florida Christian School. Great school. Our son spent eight good years here. Would have been in the high school, but he couldn't negotiate the stairs with his wheelchair. And so that was a little bit difficult. So he wound up finishing high school at Lincoln. But when he left here and went over to Lincoln, he looked at me one day and he said, Dad, I'm going to Lincoln, but I'll always be an eagle. 
So uh, that was a pretty good deal, I think. And uh, he, he held to that uh, through those years for sure. Uh, now, my wife and I, Susan, uh, have a great love for this church and, and for this school and for Brother Randy. And if you haven't met my wife, uh, you need to meet her. She's the doll of the crew, okay? And uh, so you just meet her and make sure that, that uh, you get acquainted uh, with my Susan. And uh, we, uh, with that in mind, let's just get to the heart of the matter for today. Uh, I want to share with you a message simply entitled, It's Good to Be in Church. It's good to be in church as a group meeting to study the Word of God and sing His praises and be challenged from His pulpit. Uh, that's what we're here for, and that's what God has for all of us, and we're excited about that. And so this message could probably be a series, but I want to start it today and just kind of encapsulate it for us and, and just looking at, at us as a church and what, it, what, what does it mean to be in church? Good to be in church. And three things I want to share. It's good to be in church. Number one, plan from eternity by God the Father. God had plans for this since way back. In the book of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, we read this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. That's who He is. And He has done this since before, uh, in eternity past. These people have been chosen by God in Christ. I want you to notice two phrases that we just read there. And He says, uh, "Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. In Christ. It all focuses around Him. And then he says, he chose us in him, in him. We need to understand that before the, before the world ever began, God was planning what he wanted to do in his church and in the future. And he focused it all and centered it all in Jesus Christ. And so it's through him that we have salvation. It's by the grace of God. It's through faith in our Lord Jesus. And God planned it that way. And so from before eternity, God planned a church. And He planned for us to be together as a church and to work together and pull together and love each other and be a family of God and show the world what the love of God is all about. He planned that from eternity past. All of this was in the hand of God. Now, we've, if you were to read through this chapter, and I challenge you to do that sometime, I went through and I, and I started counting the places where that little phrase, in Him or in Christ, is in this passage. And you'll find several times, 9, 10, 12, 13, I forget now, it's been a little while. But uh, you go through and you find that phrase coming up all along. Why do we say that? We say that because God kind of pulls it together later on in this chapter. As you get down to verse 13, uh, we read this, in Him... See, there's our phrase again. It's all in Christ, focused in, in Christ. In Him you also, talking about those of us who are His, after listening to the message of truth, we've heard about Jesus, virgin born, sinless life, dying on the cross, giving His life for our sin so that our sin debt could be paid, the death for, that, that is the payment for sin taken care of in Christ, 
did that for us on the cross and then taking his life back in resurrection power to give us eternal life if we trust in him. So it says, in him, after you've listened to that message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, believed, pistuo, Greek, trusted him, placed your trust in him, rely on him. What it means is to put your weight down on him. Lord, here's my entire person, my soul, my being, my life, everything that I am, I give to you all I know of myself. I give to all I know of you in trust that you would be my savior from sin and that you would direct me through this life. It's all in Christ. Having believed, that's what it means to believe. That's what it means to be saved, to put your life in his hands. We've used the illustration. You've heard it many times. We come in, we sit down on these pews. They look good and sturdy and they're nice and comfortable. And we sit down on them. And I ask the question often, what would happen to you if suddenly those pews disintegrated? You'd be on the floor because you put your weight down on it. You trusted it to hold you up. That's a simple illustration of what it means to put your life in his hands. Lord, I put my life in your hands. If for some reason those hands were failed, then I'm gone. But I trust in you. Let me give you good news. The pews may wear out one day. They may fail. But the living creator, God, never fails. And when you put your life in his hands, there it's there and it's there for eternity. Thank God for that. Listen to what he says. Having believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. He says, I've made the down payment by giving you my person in the person of the Holy Spirit of God to dwell in you, to be with you through your life. Have you ever noticed sometimes when we become a Christian and sometimes we get a little bit out of sorts and we want to get into something that we ought not to as children of God? How it's uncomfortable to do that. The reason it's uncomfortable is because the Spirit of God is dwelling in us and it's uncomfortable for Him. And when something's uncomfortable for Him, it's going to be uncomfortable for us. Thank you, Lord, for that. But He said, I sealed you with that Holy Spirit of promise. And what I'm saying is, when, I, when you have trusted in me as your Savior, I put my seal on you and it's there forever with a view to the purchase. Our redemption is fulfilled in Christ. It's good to be in church and to know that God planned this from eternity. When I was in seminary, I had a, a teacher who came, a professor was a missionary in Mexico. And he was teaching for a little while in the seminary and, and we called it a J term. It was a two week term in January. And so it was quite an intensive course, but he taught this course. In fact, it was kind of funny. He would break into Spanish every once in a while, and he would say, you know, I'm sorry, I, I, I can't say this in English as well as I can say it in Spanish. But he would come back and try to give it to us. But he wrote this poem. And I said, Dr. Sizemore, could I please get a copy of that poem? And I've kept it in my file uh, ever since then. And uh, here it is. The title of the poem is Before. Before there were worlds, a planet, or space. Before there were stars in their courses to race. Before there were heavens or lights in the skies. Before there were sunsets, new moons or sunrise. 
Before there were rivers or oceans and seas. Before there were mountains, lands, or trees. Before there were seasons or days and time. Before there were thoughts put in lyric or rhyme. Before there were people, the fall or sin. God was in Christ planning outreach to men. That's who God is. That's what he's done from before the world began. From eternity past, God was planning to reach a people. And he would say, that's my church. And we're in church today. Why? Because God planned it that way from eternity. But not only is it good to be in church, it's planned by God from eternity, but it's good to be in church founded upon God the Son. Planned by eternity, from eternity by God the Father, but it's founded upon God the Son. Matthew records an event, the life of Jesus, when he challenged his disciples with a question about local conversations about who he was. Who, who are people saying that I am? Who are people saying I am? They say, well, some say you're Elijah. Some say John the Baptist. And they talked about some of the prophets there, Jeremiah, some of the others. And, and that's good company to be with. But that's not who he was. And so he turned it back around to them and he personalized it. And this is where we all need to be. We need to have a personal understanding of who Jesus is. And he said, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. You are the anointed Messiah from God to be our Savior. Matthew said it like this when he quoted Old Testament prophetic words as as the, as the angel was speaking to, to Joseph, who's going to be Jesus' earthly father. And he said, he said, you'll call his name Jesus, but he said he will be Emmanuel, God with us. That's who he is. And when Jesus left, he said, look, I'm going to send another comforter, and that comforter is going to be one just like you have now. It's going to be Christ in you, the Holy Spirit of God. But he said, this is who I am. He said, and Peter said, said, you're the Christ. You're the anointed one of God. That's who you are. And Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, he says, and I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Hades, that unseen world. He said, there's nothing that can stop the mighty church of God who is leaning on the Lord and says, we will be the church of God. Why? Because it's founded on the very powerful rock of our Lord Jesus Christ. Some people have gotten that confused in this passage through the years and have said, well, this church is founded on Peter and Peter's confession. No, I don't think so. Who is this rock Jesus spoke about? Peter is Petros. If you look at it in Greek, it's a, it's a small rock. It's a piece off of the rock, if you will. It's a stone. It's, it's a smaller, smaller thing. Cephas, uh, that's, that's who he was. But when he said, upon this rock, I will build my church, Petra, a massive rock. It is the rock from which all the other little rocks might come from. It is the big rock. It is the foundation stone. That's what it is. And when Jesus said upon this rock, this Petra, this massive rock, that's where I will build my church. And I want to just take a few references, a little tour through the Bible real quickly, if we may. And I have them for you today. In the Old Testament book of Psalms, uh, the psalmist writes in 118.22, he says, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. 
In Matthew's gospel in chapter 21, Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scripture, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. And then the apostle Peter, a little bit later on, as he's talking and, and uh, defends the miracle of the healing a lame man at the beautiful gate at the temple in the book of Acts, he is saying to these people in that sermon that he preached, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, he put it right back on them. We can understand that too. It's our sin that put Jesus on the cross. Sometimes we might want to look back and say, boy, it's those people's fault. No, it's not the fault of the Roman soldiers, not the fault of the Jewish people who rejected him at that point. All of them, but all of us. Because he looked down through history and he saw Doyle Bell and he saw my sin. And he said, I'm dying here for you. It's a marvelous thing. And what he's done, he said, you crucified him. And he was pointing the finger in their face and you need to personalize this. And we all do. And he says, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here well. It's not anything we've done. It's about him and what he's done. And in verse 11, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. When Jesus spoke of the rock upon which the church would be founded, he was talking about the massive rock himself, not the small rock, not Peter. It's founded upon God the Son. And who are we? People who have trusted in Christ and we've come to be recognized as a people of God from every race, every nation, every from wherever they come, around the world, when we place our trust in the Lord, then we become that sacred order of persons who are a family of faith, a family of God. That's who the church is. It's good to be in church. It's not a caste system by which someone is born into it. I'll tell you more about my life next week. I, I want to give you this warning. Next Sunday morning, I'd like to preach my testimony message. So you'll know a little bit more about who this guy is that's up here uh, for these coming days. So I want to do that next Sunday morning. Both of my grandfathers were Baptist preachers. That and 50 Cent will get me a senior coffee at McDonald's, all right? Uh, that's all it'll do. Uh, it's not a caste system by which we're born into this family of faith. We are uh, not some kind of secret society, but there is a joy in our hearts that ought to separate us from others in the world and make them want to know what is it about this group we'd like to be a part of something like that that's a great group of folks to be around we're a family that lives in an atmosphere of love and understanding and mutual support and sometimes folks say well how come everybody doesn't act like that in our church we in families disagree sometimes my sister and I, my sister that's just older than me, she and I used to fuss a little bit when we were younger and, and she was just old enough she could whip me you know, if she needed to. And then later on in years, we had gotten real close and we still are just absolutely marvelously close, our family and love for each other. But uh, I was at home on, I guess, on leave from the Navy at one time. And, and she and I got in a little fuss about something. She was there visiting at mom and dad's house. And, and I looked at her and I said, why don't you take him down and whoop me like you used to? She said, if I thought I could, I would. And so, uh, 
we, we, sometimes there's, there's disagreements in families and we understand that. But we love each other and we come back together and we don't let that tear us apart. We are agreeably disagreeable or disagree in an agreeable manner, if you will. So we're a family that loves each other and we support each other. Through the years, have I ever had disagreements with folks in the churches where I've pastored? Yes. Did we come back together and support each other and love each other? I did. And I think most of them did. So we seem to get along pretty well. That's family. And it's only entered into by trust in Jesus as Savior. It's not by baptism. That's something we ought to do in obedience to God. It's not by reciting some creed, as good as some of those might be. It's only through faith in Jesus as Savior. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes, what? In him. There's our phrase. Comes back again. It's all centered in Christ. That's who the church is. And that's what we are about. And we're not saved and in the family just to be a pretty face in a pretty building and take up space someplace. God has a plan and a purpose for his church. And he says, I want us to do something in this world that is marvelous and mighty. And guess what? The good news is this. We don't have to do it in our own power. Thank God for that. If it's left up to me, the church is in bad shape. I used to tell my people where I pastored a lot of times, I said, look, if we get no more done in this church than the pastor's going to do, we're in trouble. You folks are out there. And you're doing things and you help keep things moving and what's happening. I came in this morning and, and Daniel was right there, Johnny on the spot to make sure I was sound fit. So if I need to move around a little bit, and sometimes I do, then you can hear what's going on without me having to holler. People make things happen. Brother Larry led us in music this morning. Brother Tommy came and, and shared and, and we have our interim youth guy down here. People are doing work all around. That's what makes it all happen, but we don't have to do it by ourselves, which brings us to the third point today. It's good to be in church empowered by God, the Holy Spirit. It is planned from eternity by God, the father. It's founded upon God, the son, the massive rock of our salvation. It's empowered by God, the Holy Spirit. Let's remember what Jesus said to Peter. He said, I will build my church. I will build it. I discovered something, Brother Larry, many years ago. Brother Tommy and the others, I discovered something. I don't have a ministry. I don't have one. They call me the, the minister at such and such a church. And I used to tell folks, no, I'm not the minister at the church. God's given all of us ministry to do, but it's his ministry. And we just join in with him. And do what he says do. Go where he says go and, and act like he says act and follow him. That's what he's called us to do. And so he says, I will build my church. Let's just be faithful to be carrying out what he said for us to do here and say, Lord, this is it. You'll hear me say this occasionally. The Bible is not just a roadmap to heaven. It's a manual for life along the way. And so most of it is written to help those of us who are his to understand what he would have us to do with our life. And he says, and guess what? I am with you always, even to the very end of this age. 
I will send the Holy Spirit, another comforter to be with you. And I'll be in you and I'll help you and I'll bring these things to your remembrance. And I'll teach you and I'll, I'll direct you and I'll empower you to carry on the task that I have given to you. Look at what his word says to the disciples in Acts chapter 1. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the very end of the earth. Wherever it is, you'll receive power, the power of God. That Greek word again, dunamis, great, great word. We get several English words from dunamis. One of those is dynamite. Big explosion, light the fuse, run away and hide, close your ears. Something's going to explode and something's going to be destroyed. Big explosion, dynamite, bang. We also get our word dynamo, which just kind of keeps on rolling and, and producing electricity that we use and enjoy. Had a little fright this morning when the power went out. We're going to be here in the dark and have to holler loud. But it uh, came back on. Thank God for that. Somebody creating power. This is what he's saying to us. I am the power of the Holy Spirit that is always with you wherever you go. And I'll be with you in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, everywhere you go. Start here. Reach out. You're a, you're a mission-minded church. Brother Randy was a mission-minded pastor. I know that. He's still planning to be involved in mission work in the days ahead. I've talked to him. I know what he's, what he's looking at, what he's doing. He said, you're going to have my power to do this. You don't do it by yourself. I am with you. And look at what it says in Acts 2, 47. And the latter part of that verse says, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Notice it was the Lord added to their number. Now the disciples are out there preaching. The disciples are out there teaching. The disciples are out there touching lives. The disciples are out there living out the Christ life in their world, in their school, in their work, in their home, at play, whatever they're doing. They're living out the Christ life. But God in them, Christ in them, the hope of glory, the Holy Spirit power is the one that's adding to the church. Thank you, Lord, for that. I'm glad it's not all dependent on me. I just want to be in on what he's up to on planet Earth. And I know you do too. God intends his people to be in, at work in this. Look at me with a great passage in Matthew's gospel. And this just kind of tells us a little bit. A little background to the passage we'll look at here. Not too many days before this particular event, Jesus had been baptized by John the Baptist out in the wilderness. And he had gone out and was tempted by the devil. And he's now ready to begin the ministry for which he came. Saving of lost souls. And we pick it up there at Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. When Jesus said from that, or when Matthew records it this way. From that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's his first beginning message. And while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. I've already met some fishermen here uh, today. That's a good thing because I love to fish. I can just give you a fair warning about that. They were fishermen, casting a net into the sea. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me. We'll talk about that in the days ahead. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. I like that word, immediately. Man, when God calls and says, go do this, 
Well, now let's see. Let me think about this. Let me pray about this. He's already told us in the word what to do. We don't have to pray about that. Does he want me to be a soul winner? Let me pray about that. No, you don't have to be a prayer about that. He said, as you are going into the world, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So what I've told you to do, you pass it on and keep passing it on. Thank God they did that because if it wasn't for that, nobody would have told us. We keep on doing that. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Notice Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. It's not in our power. It's in his power. And he enables us and encourages us some folks say, well, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how to do this. I don't know whatever. I know y'all used to do the faith uh, outreach ministry here. We did the same thing at Fellowship uh, for many, many years. Brother Randy and I were talking several years ago, and he said, do sometimes you feel like your folks get faith fatigue? And I said, yeah. Sometimes these, these, these programs come and go. They might wear out after a while. But I'll tell you what, our personal experience, our personal walk with Christ, and our opportunity to share the good news of Christ with people all around where we are in our lives never, never ceases. And Jesus says, I'm with you to help that happen. You don't do it in your power. You do it in mine. That's how it is. He spent three years teaching these men and others who would follow after him what it meant to do outreach to their fellow man. And he gave them some good on-the-job training. Jesus faced those who would challenge his authority. And he told them the truth that would set them free if they'd just listen and obey. And he said, sometimes you're going to face challenges. But just tell them the truth. And let God do his work through his word. He faced those who heard him and were right ready to follow on. Man, they were ready to jump on and go with him. And they said, yeah, this is great. We're going with you. And he says, okay, but let me tell you what. It's not going to be the easiest path you have walked. It's going to be difficult at times. But come on. There's not a better, happier, safer place to be than right in the middle of the will of God. Wherever you are. Let's go with that. And so he taught these people. And and what what would happen? He he faced those who uh, accused him falsely. Beat him with an inch of his life. Hung him on a cross. And what did he do? He reached out to them. The greatest prayers. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He was reaching out in all those. And he said, I will empower you. And I'll make you to be fishers of men. That's what he did. He's our leader, our example, our mentor, our Lord. He's called us to do the same in his power. I like this little acrostic. It's follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. F-I-S-H. Fishers of men. I thought about this some years ago. Find the lost. That's the F. We got to find them. Uh, we spent some time out on the flats yesterday in the boat trying to find fish. We finally found four nice ones and brought them home. They're in the refrigerator. You've got to find them. You've got to go where they are. And they are where you are, around where you work and where you live and play and go to school and do business out in the community. They're out there. 
Just be ready and looking. I introduce them to Jesus. Introduce them by your life and living. Introduce them by your words. Sometimes it takes saying something about who you are and who Jesus is. Show them how to be saved. Take your Bible, open it up, lead them to to the Lord. Keep one in your pocket. Carry it around with you. Memorize some things that you can share if you can't carry it around with you. I have one in my back pocket that I keep with me uh, all the time. And for all you Gideons in here, I had to have a Gideon replace it some years ago. And uh, they did. And and I try to keep it back here. You never know when you're going to need it and use it whenever you're out there with people. Show them how to be saved and then help them learn how to fish. That's what he told us in the Great Commission, wasn't it? Find them, introduce them to Jesus, show them how they can be saved, and then help them learn to fish. It's good to be in church. And here's where the rub comes in. I don't think we have any real claim to the power of God if we're not surrendered to be just followers of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's been such a joy to talk to your search committee when they called some time back and said, would you be interested in being considered as our interim pastor? And I said, yes, I I would entertain that, that thought. So I met with the men. We spent some time together. We prayed together and and that process went on, and, and uh, the body graciously asked me if I could, would do this. And I said, I'd, I'd love to. I'm humbled by that experience. I'm challenged to try to help you and, and encourage you during these days as we seek out that new pastor to come to God's church and, and lead it and be a great, great marriage between pastor and church. I'm excited about it because this is what I wanted to do in retirement. God's given me opportunities various places and now with you and it's exciting if we say Lord it's not about us not about the interim pastor for sure it's about you and we want to be surrendered to you and we want what you want in this church and in our lives you know I just can't see brother Tommy I can't see God sitting on his throne and some of his people saying Lord we just want to be who you want us to be I can't see him going, nah. Can you? No. I think that's what he wants. And when we say, Lord, we're yours. It's all about you. I think God is saying, now that I can use. That's my church. That's my church. I started that thing a long time ago before any of you was ever born. I found it upon the rock of our salvation. And I'm empowering it with my very presence. Oh, it's good to be in church. Good to be in church. Are you in God's church? You say, what do you mean by that, preacher? Have you placed your trust in Jesus to be your Savior and Lord? If not, you may be in the building. You may be meeting with the people known as North Florida Baptist Church. Children of God. But if you haven't trusted Christ as your personal Savior, personalized, internalized Him to you, then you've missed it. And we don't want anybody to miss it. And so today we simply close with that question, that challenge. Do you know that you know that you know Jesus as your Savior? If you do, praise God for that. If not, why not now? Behold, today is the day of salvation. Why not now? If not now, when? No promise 
of tomorrow. That's not preacher talk. That's reality. That's reality. Do you know it? In just a moment, we're going to be singing uh, a hymn uh, without him. Without him, I could do nothing. Without him, I would be nothing. But with him, and as we sing that song, you might want to just bow your heart where you are and say, Lord, I've heard about you, but I don't know you. But right now, nothing else matters. I want to know you. And will you come into my heart, forgive me of sin in my life, be my Savior, lead me on through this life. That's why he came. He's ready if you are ready. That's good news. That's the gospel.